Good morning, everyone. It's the first Sunday of the year, uh, seven days in the year, January 2024. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, this morning, I want to acknowledge our spiritual father, uh, Pastor Roy and Mom, for uh, the opportunity they have given me to share the message on this seventh day of the month of January 2024. I want to acknowledge everyone who's here, the leaders. I, I saw Pastor Tembo, you're welcome, and everyone else who's here, the leaders, and those of us who are watching us on television. This morning, I have entitled the message, Every Mountain and Hill Brought Law. Every Mountain and Hill Brought Law. And I begin to read the few scriptures on the, on the front page of the bulletin. And this is coming from Luke 3, 5 to 6. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and rough ways smooth. And all flesh, flesh shall see the salvation of God. Isaiah 2, 2 to 3, the Bible says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people will come, shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. And the last scripture on the front there says uh, in Daniel 2, 44, 45, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of a rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation trustworthy. Shall we pray as we begin? Our God and our Father, we so thankful this morning for your grace that abounds. Grace upon grace. We thank you this morning that, O oh Lord, you have brought us to the mountain of the Lord, that we may listen to your word, you may teach us your ways. We thank you that, O oh Lord, you have anointed the lips of clay. You have anointed me to declare this word this morning. We pray for the hearers that you open their hearts and their minds. The Lord, I only speak your word and only your word. This morning I pray that, O oh Lord, the anointing will flow, the anointing that breaks the yoke. Lord, we are so thankful for the grace and the peace that surpasses all understanding that is available to us this morning. In Jesus' name that we pray with thanksgiving in our heads. Amen and amen. So this morning, as I begin to talk about the subject I've entitled, Every Mountain and hill brought law. Every mountain and hill brought law. Now, when you talk about the mountain and the hill, they all represent one and the same thing except in the stature of those mountains. And then when you begin to study the Bible, you find that actually the subject of the mountain, when I began to look at the Bible, is quite wide. Now, this morning, what I want to do in the introduction, I want to try and speak generally to the mountains, then I'll come back to the narrowness the message I have this morning so that I put the context to what I'm sharing this morning. Of course, mountains, when you look at the Bible, are associated with important events and encounter with God. And uh, they show the significance of uh, what happened to the people of God in the journey of their faith. 
Uh, I listed about 10 mountains. I know there are more mountains in the Bible, but I just picked up those few. And uh, one, number one found in Genesis 8, 4, is Mount Ararat. Uh, forgive my tongue, I'm member, so I have problems some of the words to pronounce. Mount Ararat, uh, A-R-A-R-A-T. This is a place where the, the, the ark came to rest on the top mountain where Noah and his family emerged to start a new life. The ark of uh, that uh, Noah's ark, after the many days it was floating on the water, it came and rested on Mount Ararat. That's the significance of that mountain. Number two, Mount Moriah. Another important mountain in the Bible. Uh, this is uh, where Abraham was commanded to sacrifice his son Isaac. And this uh, lamb was sacrificed instead of Isaac, significant of what Christ himself came to do on the cross. And uh, what you find is that um, Abraham is calling this place the mountain of the Lord he will provide, Jehovah Jireh, Genesis 22.1. Another mountain, Mount Sinai. This is a mountain where, uh, found in uh, Sinai Peninsula of Egypt, mountain where Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. Uh, this is where the Shekinah glory uh, fire came on the mountain. Moses went up and received the tablets of stone inscribed with the Ten Commandments. Exodus 19, 1. And then you have four Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb, there is a discussion and a debate uh, referring to Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai to be one and the same, but I do not want to go into those debates. I just want to look at what mountains we have here. Mount Horeb, Exodus 3, 1, Moses meets God in a burning bush. And then five, Mount Zion, uh, the Jebusite's fortress that David conquered and made it his capital. It's, it became a stronghold called Mount Zion. Second Samuel 5, 7, 9. Uh, Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah, symbolizing God's presence. Second Chronicles 3, 1. It's a dwelling place of God. Seven, Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, picture of, um, picture of um, the prophet Elijah and uh, the encounter with uh, the prophets of Ba in 1 Kings 18.1. Mount of Olives. It was a place where Jesus often went to pray and taught his disciples. It is also the place uh, where Jesus himself ascended into heaven after his resurrection. Mark 13.3, Luke 21.37. Another mountain which necessarily you will not find in the Bible, but if you historically read the, the narrations, you'll find it's called Mount Taba. Um, of course, in the Bible, it's not mentioned there, but those who are debating on the theological front are saying this was Mount Taba. Uh, it's a mount of transfiguration. Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and went to the mountain top of this uh, mountain, and Moses and Elijah appeared to them. And uh, the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Mark 9, 2. The last one, Mount Calvary, or Gogota, or the place of Scar, it is called. Uh, Matthew 27, 33, Mark 15, 22, John 19, 17. Mount of Calvary or Gogota would not be classified as a mountain as per se. It is called a no, or in our language, a hill. You know a hill. Uh, of course, it's a place of crucifixion. Place of crucifixion. All these ten mountains symbolizes the events that happened in the Bible. But of course, when you begin to look at the Bible itself, Mountains also appear to be a symbol. Mountains are often used as a symbol of strength, stability, and, 
and permanence in the Bible. Mount Zion, which is called Mount Zion, which is called a fortress. Uh, Mount Zion, which is called a dwelling place of God. And mountains also uh, can have metaphorical meaning. Metaphors are often used uh, to refer to something uh, kind of allegorical or proverbial. If you have a Bible, you find Jesus is uh, in Mark 11, 23. He says, have faith in God. Jesus answered, to read, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believe what they say, it will happen to be done for them. So a mountain can also be called obstacles or, or things that trouble uh, human beings. Those things that stand in your way, those are mountain, the spiritual meaning. Things that you must overcome in your spiritual journey. Another one is a spiritual ascent. Spiritual ascent. Um, this is a, a spiritual ascent speaks of climbing a mountain. Ascending requires effort and perseverance, just like our spiritual journey. In the Bible, a metaphor of drawing closer to God, Psalm 24, 3 to 4, who may ascend into the ear of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's the, the, the journey, pagan worship, if you, if you read the, the Old Testament, you find high places. High places, these people were offering uh, uh, sacrifices to idols, the prophets of Ba. So mountain also can be a place of idol worship. I know some brothers who like to go to the mountains. I wonder what do they go to do there. But it's, it's, it's also a picture of a place of pagan worship. But it's also be a place of, um, of true worship, uh, the place of sacrifices, uh, Moses went there at Mount Sinai experience. Divine revelation is also another part where we can refer to mountain are also used in the Bible to symbolize divine revelation. Uh, people went there to get how God revealed to them. Uh, Moses went up to Mount Sinai and God revealed himself to him. Mountains are personalized as things that give glory and worship to God. Mountains were also sacred places God appeared and was encountered in Ezekiel 28, 13. You find um, ex uh, uh, encounters on the mountain. God appeared to the prophet Ezekiel. You know, Elijah is running away from the enemy Jezebel, and God calls him, encountered God at Mount Horeb in 1 Kings 19, 8 to 18. Moses ascends Mount Sinai and encountered God in the cloud, Exodus 19. Somehow, the message I'm um, sharing this morning begins on what I'm trying to say going further from here. Uh, like the song by our choir we are singing, um, uh, Chilolo Waba Chilolo, or another song, Le Lamb Upon the Throne, how God himself is lifted high. It's uh, God's power and majesty, his supremacy. Mountains are often used in the Bible to symbolize the power and majesty of God. The mountains are described as strong and unmovable. Unmovable. They, just like God, Psalm 36, verse 6, if you like to refer that to. The picture of the mountain, of course, you and I know that there are various mountains we have, even physically. What you see, these mountains, uh, if you are driving somewhere where there's a mountain, I don't know whether we have mountains in Lusaka, we have hills. You've heard of Leopard's Hills, right? Leopard Hill, or even when you're driving, uh, this road uh, called uh, Nguerere Road, you are coming from Nguerere Road, going into Great North Road. When you are driving there, there are some hills. When you stand, you find there is a hill in front. You can't see something in front of that, right? Uh, there's kind of obscurity. 
they, they, they block the view. So on one hand, we are speaking of God supreme, but on one hand, we are also looking at mountains that block the view. That is a picture of the message this morning. The supremacy of God and the mountains that block the view. So you find here, mountains uh, could be, could be like in Zambia we have mountains, of course I forgot. We have Mafinga, Mafinga Mountain, uh, which province is there? Uh, Muchinga, Northern Province. Uh, 2,339 meters. 2,339 meters. This is only about, could this be only about 10 meters going up here? But you're talking of 2,339 meters uh, above sea level. Muchinga, 2,133 meters. 2,133 meters. If you thought that was very high, go to Kilimanjaro, which is the highest mountain in, in Africa, found in Tanzania. 5,885 meters. 5,885 meters. Go and climb that mountain. So much energy you need. Now, we also have the, the, the highest mountain in the world located in Napo region. It's called Mount Everest. The highest mountain in the world, if you ask the child who's going to school, what is the highest mountain they will answer very quickly, Mount, Mount Everest. It's, called, it's about 8,849 meters above sea level. So if you want to try that, go and climb that mountain. Now, the focus this morning, the mountain of the Lord is the only mountain that we are looking at. But uh, I'll be illustrating how the other mountains obscure this only mountain. And um, this is a place where God himself dwells. If you talk about the mountain, here we find this is the mountain could be called Christ himself becomes the mountain, his son. The temple of the Lord, where God himself dwells, Mount Zion, is depicted there. Uh, this is used in a good sense of God who really is high and supreme. So it's also talking of the excellence of God. How excellent is your name in all the earth? It talks about how God himself is lifted high. Uh, if you go to see State House, you'll be calling the presence Your Excellency. Why are we saying that? Your Excellency means this is the highest position in the land. That's why you call him Your Excellency. Your Excellency means we acknowledge your top leadership. You are the highest in this land. That's why we use the word Excellency. But when we come to the spiritual vantage, we're talking God himself, how excellent is his name in all the earth. So when we talk about the, the mountain of God, now, why do we discuss other mountains? The reason is that these mountains, they must be brought low so that God himself is lifted high. They must be brought low so that God himself is lifted high. Because of what they produce, man begins to serve these mountains and they begin to block the view of God in their lives. They become lofty. To become lofty, it's a picture of a mountain. If you look at the mountain, you can't see what is on the other side. You begin to see this mountain at micro, personal level. They are macro, global level mountains, things that you can see at the higher level. Mountains mean what obscures the view. Lofty, high, lifted up. Majesty, your majesty. We call people your majesty. We mean at their level, not at the level of God. Your majesty, your excellency. So we at their level, but God is there. So we begin to see in the book of Isaiah, if you wanted to describe, the, the Bible says, the, the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. The year King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah, I saw the Lord uh, high and lifted up. Uh, King Uzziah blocked the view of Isaiah. God, he must be lifted up. God must be exalted. What you see when Jesus Christ himself comes, 
that the first thing that he does in the message in the book of Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, you find that Jesus himself sat at the mountain and began to preach. Deliberately he went and sat at the mountain and began to preach the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. You begin to wonder why did Jesus do that? He goes and why didn't he just go and sit somewhere else? Now what you see is this picture now comes to the message we have this morning. The message we have this morning, every mountain and hill brought low. Number one, who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord. Number two, he humbled those who dwell on high. Number three, the day of reckoning to the hills and mountains of the nations. Number four, intangible and tangible resource from the mountain of the Lord. Number five, only one mountain remains and shall be desired. So those five points will be what we look at in the next few minutes that we have. Uh, I began to uh, meditate on this scripture on the Christmas day when my brother asked me to sing here. This is a scripture I read, Isaiah chapter 2, 2 to 3, uh, the symbol of the mountains. And I began to meditate on the scriptures that I'm, I'm sharing this morning. First point, who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? After now we know what the mountain is. Uh, Psalm 24, 3 to 6 who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god? They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. So those who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord, number one, one who has clean hands. Clean hands speaks of the things that we, our hands touch, what are the things, do they bring glory unto the name of the Lord? Our, one who has a pure heart, in our hearts as we worship God, what is inside of our heart? Then number three, our trust, where do we put our trust? Do we put our trust in God? If we do, we have, we are, we have a pathway to come into the mountain of the Lord. Or we do not swear to, to the false God. When you swear, you swear to something that is higher, higher than you, right? The Bible in the New Testament, of course, let our yes be yes, our no be no, because God is great. Now, what we see is in Isaiah chapter 2, 6 to 9, the Bible says, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. It begins to describe the things that have allowed the people of God to be abandoned. The, the first thing that we know, we are children of God, we are born again. Christ as sacrifice is... is uh, his blood for our sins, his body, and the cross picture we have. We are born again. We are sons of God. But there comes the, our journey of our relationship and fellowship with him. That should speak of dominion, how we live every day. This is now the challenge, our journey, our journey and our fellowship, our relationship. And this is now where this comes. You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. They are full of superstitions from the east, not eastern province, from the east. Just talks of in the place where these people were. They are full of superstition from the east. They practice divination like the Philistines, and they embrace pagan customs. Their land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasure. Their land is full of horses. There is no end of their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands. To what their fingers have made, they are the hand principle, to what their fingers have made. So people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Do not forgive them. 
Isaiah 57, 14, 15 says, and it to be said, Isaiah 57, 14 to 15, and it to be said, build up, build up, prepare the Lord, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of your people. For this is what the high and the exalted one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That God himself dwells in a high and holy place. That's where God he dwells, at the mountain of the Lord. But then he says, also, also with one who is contrite and holy and lowly in spirit. What is being contrite? The contrite spirit. One who is contrite. The, the Bible speaks of a contrite uh, in terms of one who is humble. Having the contrite heart means recognizing our deficiency in the work with God. Our brokenness. Our brokenness. It means being humble. Being teachable. Being teachable. You can pick more on a contrite heart from Psalm 51 uh, in your own studies at your own time. So this is one that God himself will dwell with. Now, so when we come to this, it speaks of how we must have, we come to God with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Now, point, he humbles, even as we move, as time is moving, he humbles those who dwell on high. He humbles those who dwell on high. Now, dwelling on high, is a picture of the mountain. Dwelling on high is a picture of a mountain. He says, he humbles those who dwell on high and lays the loft city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Isaiah 2, 13 to 17, the Bible says, for all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and loft, and all the oaks of Bashan, for all the towering mountains and all the hills, for every lofty tower, and every fortified wall, for every trading ship, every stately vessel, the arrogance of man will be brought low, and the human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. All these must be brought, must be brought low. These things that men worship, these things that man save, the work of God's hand, and the work of man's hand. They stand as obstacles to the true worship in the lives of his people. Because these things are lofty. Loft means highly lifted up, exalted, being self-secure and boastful. He talks of, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that is lifted high on a pedestal. Things at a micro level. There are personal obstacles, personal mountains we have which you and I must begin to interrogate. There are also global mountains, those that block the view of God. They have got the imposing height, the imposing height. Talks about high and lifted up, exalted. Here is Jesus comes when he was tempted, on a day he was taken into the wilderness to be tempted, in Matthew 4, 8, 11. Uh, if you read there, the Bible says, and get the, the devil took him to a very high mountain, took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. How did the, the enemy manage to do that to the Lord Jesus Christ? If they did that to the master, they would do that to you. 
And he says, I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. The only thing that the enemy wanted from the Lord was the Lord to worship him, that everything else will be given. It could also be well be that the things that man can be given because he's worshipped the enemy in their lives. Jesus said unto him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. One of the other pictures also you find in the New Testament is Jesus uh, encountering the woman at a well, the Samaritan woman. And this woman, he says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews again, that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem, because Jerusalem was also called a mountain. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Your Samaritan worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now Jesus begins to tell him that, look, now the technology changes. You no longer have to go to the mountain. The mountain was just showing you what a true mountain is. It was just a figure of speech. It was a metaphor. It was a symbol I was showing you. I am the mountain. Now, I will give you the Holy Spirit. And I will give you the word. The word is thy truth. You have the word. You have the spirit. That is a mountain. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered, I am there in their midst. So where the people of God is, where Christ is, where the temple of God is, that's a mountain. And he begins to say, look, when the enemy takes him to the splendor, on the mountain to show him the kingdoms of this world. You have seen the kingdom of this world. You have seen the splendor of this world. Things that you describe beautiful. Things that you, you, you describe splendid, marvelous. Whatever words you can use. Sometimes, what things do we, do we describe to be splendid? Things that we love. Things that we describe. We love to talk about them. When I look at the word of God, I begin to see that there are these things called the kingdoms of this world. You and I, what are the kingdoms of this world? The kingdom of this world is, has got things the, the world view. While these things may not be seen in themselves, but somehow when we look at them, they are lifted up. First of all, look at the economies of this world. Look at the businesses. How lifted are they? How splendid are they? When you go in the shop, how do people scamper for things that they want to buy? Because these things are marvelous. They're splendid. They are nice, right? They're things we want to buy. It's because they look good. And we have the businesses, the money. The, look at the legal system, the law. We have the systems from the top to the bottom. The people that are found into the legal system. Sometimes you, among these, you, it's quite splendid. They wear robes. They look, they are big, and they are there to save man. But unfortunately, man begins to save these things. While these things must save man, man begins to save these things. That's where they block, they block the view of who God is. The health system. You start from the top, the tertiary. You have the primary care. Maybe you have the secondary care. I don't know those in the health system. You have the teaching hospital. You have the doctors. You have all these people with all various skills. They are not bad in themselves. But the problem begins when now you take these things on the pedestal. 
they block the view of who God is. Like we say, God is a physician of the physicians, right? There's a limit to what they can be. Just like the legal system is there, it's got a limit to what it can be. That's why your excellence, the present is there, it's got a limit to what you can be as compared to what God is. Just like the money and the business, we can see they have a limit, they have a limit to what they can do in the lives of his people. So God must be highly exalted. You look at the silver and gold, how people count money. Sometimes money is put on the table. You say, wow, this money. You know, people, there are people who can be, when they're given money, they can get mad, right? If you want to test who you are, just let's give you money, see how you behave. You can behave so humble when you don't have money, but let's just give you money, see how you change your behavior towards people. You change your behavior towards people. I've seen on, uh, on Facebook people counting money, right? And they're so excited. Early in my career, uh, one, of the, one of the work I did was a cashier before I became an accountant. I used to work in the shop as a cashier. One of the things I learned was that there are people who can't handle money. There are people who can't just handle money. You know that. And just forgive them. They can't handle money, right? There are people who are so gifted in that area. So when I, hand, when I worked for, you know, as a cashier for five years, before I became an accountant, one of the things I knew was there is always a problem when it comes to money. Because when you handle money, money can change you. Or money can, 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 can affect you somehow. Why? Because these now, money can become a kingdom. They never had money. So they came in church and sat and said, Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. He's Jehovah Jireh, they pray. The, the Lord is, is, is my fortress in whom I trust. But give them money. They will sit at the back there. They will be counting the clock. They want to leave. Why? Money has become a mountain in their lives. It obscures their view. It obscures their view. Here is the buildings. You've seen the skyscrapers, the buildings. They have a high view. You can go to the tallest building in town or any place that you go. People, this become a symbol of pride. They become a symbol of pride. The education system, the higher learning, you become at, you come at that level. You think you have arrived, but you realize there's the knowledge of the knowledge. Sometimes we are in this field, I teach as well as a lecturer. I know that even as I teach, these things have got a limit. I can teach, but on the other side, my students don't even know that I'm a pastor, actually. Why? Because this is just a knowledge that there is in this world. But there's a limit to what this knowledge can achieve because there's a king of kings, there's a doctor of doctors, there's a physician of physicians, there is a nurse of nurses, clinic officer of clinic officers, lawyer of lawyers, we have got judges of judges, we have level. Excellency. Why? Because he's at that level. God is at that high level. Instead of man saving, uh, this thing saving man, man begins to save the work of his hands. This is the message this morning that begins to see how these things must be, must be humbled and be brought low. Now, when we look at all these things, what do we see? There's going to be a day of reckoning of, to the hills and mountains of the nations. That's point number three. There is going to be a day of reckoning to the hills and mountains of the nations. When you look at the book of Isaiah 2.12, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud, the loft, and that is exalted. They will be humbled. 
The Bible says so. There is going to be a day of reckoning. You and I, if we know that, then we must bring ourselves at that level. We must bring ourselves at that level. Sometimes we see the pride of others. We don't see ours. It's very easy for you to tell me that I'm proud because I'm going to school, I'm doing other things. But you don't, just by saying what you're saying, you are proud. Because the first thing you're doing, you're comparing yourself to my, and yet of you, I'm comparing yourself to the living God. Because Christ himself came and humbled himself. Imagine the living God coming down, being born in a woman, being as a baby, sleeping in a manger, walking on the road, even being treated like a nobody. The Bible says in his own town, he was never known. He's just this is the son of a, a carpenter we know. That's humility. He humbled himself, came down, became ordinary like any one of us. But the problem of man is that man becomes proud and loft and exalted. The Bible says in the book of Revelation 6, 12 says, we begin from 14, the heaven receded like a scroll. This is John was taken to the, to the highest place and was being shown what was going to happen. Verse 14, the heaven receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and highland was removed from the, its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the general, the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, those who are generals, the rich, the mighty, if you are rich, you are mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, even those who are poor, <laughs> they hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountain. They go to the mountain of the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So there is a day when everybody has to humble themselves. The Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Every one of us have to confess. Every one of us, our knees, if we don't need, put our knees down, we must begin to, 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 to learn to kneel down before the Lord. Even in our closets, maybe when not people are seeing us, maybe when we are alone, let's learn to kneel down before the Lord. Because why? There is a day when all of us have to kneel down before the Lord. There is a day when all of us have to confess that Christ himself is Lord. When we go and see the scripture in the book of Daniel chapter 2, and uh, this, this scripture basically is an encounter of uh, the king himself. He had a dream. The king had a dream. Uh, if I, I will not read, I just sample a few because of time. In the, yes, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came, he came and he stood before the king, said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. So he summoned all the astrologers and everyone to say, I want you to do this. I don't want to tell you the dream. You tell me what the dream is, and don't give me the interpretation. If you go to verse 10, the astrologers and the wise men answer, there's no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and might, has he ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer? What the king asked is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. And they do not live among humans. Of course, fast forward, they, he told them that if you do not tell me the dreams, I'm going to kill all the wise men, including Daniel and his friend. They were among the wise men. So verse 17 then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. 
he had them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this ministry. And they prayed in verse 20, praise, the, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the descending. He reveals deep and hidden things. To cut the long story short, Daniel revealed the mystery to the king. And the king uh, laid prostrate on the ground and started worshiping God. That's what happened to the king. Now, what we see, we see that this is just one position of the day of reckoning to Daniel. And even how the Bible says in verse 44, in the time of those kings, God of heaven will set up the kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will be crushed, all those kingdoms, and will bring them to an end, but to itself endure forever. Zechariah 4, 7 to 9 says, what are you, might mountain? You're talking about the mountains that we have. What are you, might mountains? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then you will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. There is a picture of of so much of pride in the scriptures, if we read the Bible, we find in the book of Luke, the book of Luke gives us uh, two men that went to pray, Luke 18, 10 to 14, in the temple, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. What kind of a prayer is that? I thank you that I am not like other people. When you pray, do you compare, or when you are in, in the service, do you compare yourself to others? I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector who was beside him. I fast, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of what I get. Then the tax collector comes and stood at a distance he would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It speaks of how when we come, many of our worship and praise, or many of our service is mainly comparing ourselves to others. Or the standard of things we do is the people around us. Christ himself should be our standard. If we can measure ourselves to the standard of Christ himself, we go to Philippians chapter 2, which I'm not going to read now because of time, how Christ himself humbled himself, even to the point of death. The way to going up, first of all, is going down. We must go down. We must humble ourselves, and God himself lifts us up. This is a picture of the message of the contrite heart. People that come to God and God himself is able to lift them up. Do we lift ourselves? Do we give examples of what we do and what we are as compared in comparison to the others around us? The book of Ezekiel chapter 8.3.6 also shows us the image of jealousy. Here in the book of 8.3.6, um, if we read there, verse 4, And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the plain. 
Then he said to me, son of man, look toward the earth, the north. So I looked and in the entrance north of the gate, the outer, I saw this idol of jealousy. Because if you begin to worship other things, what we provoke is jealousy. Because God cannot share his glory with another. Of course, he shares his glory with his people. He says, look, in verse 5, he said to me, son of man, look toward the north. I looked, and at the entrance of the gate of the outer, I saw this idol of jealousy. Verse 6, and he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? They are utterly detestable things. Here, what they are doing, they, I'll drive them away from the sanctuary. But you see things that are even more detestable. And then the other things that you saw, the elders, each, each person at his own shrine of own idol, the women were mourning uh, their God Tammuz, lamenting, lamenting, with their hearts that are broken. The question is, what breaks your heart in this world? Is your heart broken because of the ways of God that you are not following? Or is your heart broken because of the kingdom of this world which you have never possessed? What breaks your heart? See Jacob, even when he fought with the angel of God, he was asking God to bless him. I will not leave you until you bless me. You tell God, I don't leave you until you bless you. What is your description of your blessing? He says, here when we see Jacob, his tendon was broken. So basically when we are praying a prayer of God, say, God bless you, God bless me, God bless you. You are asking God to break you. You are asking God to break your heart. When you are praying, God bless me, God bless me, you are asking God to break your heart so that you can be tuned unto him. You can have a contrite heart and a contrite spirit. You are broken for him. You are broken for the things that are happening around you. You are broken for the things that you are not matching up to in terms of the standard of God. Because of time, I want to cut some of the things that I would have liked to say. But you can see that there is a difference of the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. When you see God himself in Numbers 23, the Bible says, God is not a son of man that he should lie, nor a man that he should change his mind, right? God, what he speaks, if he says he will bless, he will bless. He doesn't change. But when you have a man, a man can change a mind today. He can say one thing today, tomorrow, he changes. If you want to, uh, believe me, go into the political arena, you'll find out that. This kingdom of this world, they never keep their word. But God will keep his word. That's why you should not trust them. You can never trust man because man changes his mind. Even the man next to you, you never trust him because he can change his mind. But God himself, he is sticking to his word because God is righteous. When he speaks, what he speaks stands. If he says, I will bless, you bless. That's what God does in the lives of his, of his people. Number four, intangible and tangible resources from the mountain of the Lord. Psalm 48 verse 1 to 5. Great is the Lord and most worthy of his praise. In the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon, Mount Zion, the seat of the great king. God is in our citadels. He has shown himself to be our fortress. What the kings joined, when the king joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw and were astounded. They fled in terror. That God is our fortress. The beauty of God can never be explained. When you come in the presence of the Lord, the only thing you begin to sing is holy, holy. If you go and read Isaiah chapter 6, here is Isaiah saying, the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord highly and lifted up. 
When he saw the angels, what they cried there is holy, holy. You go to the book of Revelation, what you find is holy, holy. Because God himself is mighty. He's excellent. He's great. He's highly exalted. What you see is God is a God who comes in Psalms 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, which is a mountain of the Lord, these are Lord's people where Lord's people dwell. Like those who dreamed, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortune, Lord, the streams, in the streams of Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What you find is that what flows from the mountain of the Lord is things that you cannot touch, but you can feel them. You see that when you come in the presence of the Lord, which is the mountain of the Lord, one of the things you must have is the joy of the Lord. If you go and read the book of Nehemiah, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. The question is, that do we have joy? Or we have joy when we are singing songs, we lift up our hands, we are happy, we laugh. A few minutes we go, we are sad. We go out there, people look at us when we are walking, are we sad or do we have the joy of the Lord? Maybe let's talk, let's talk about joy. Let's talk about happiness. How happy are we? Some version of the Bible, happy are those. The Bible says blessed are those, to use the word happy and blessed. Are you filled with joy? Many of the times, people do not have the joy. Here, when we come to the mountain of the Lord, it's like a, the theme that we have, the things that will remain, faith, hope, and love. At the mountain of the Lord, we have the mountain of love, agape love. This love is a sacrificial love. The love that Peter was asked by the Lord, are you sure you're going to die for me? Do you really think you really love me? He says, yes, Lord, I'll go with you. Even to the cross, I'll go with you. And what you see there that actually Peter did not go very far because he did not have the agape love at that moment. He, at that moment, in John 13, he says, I'll lay down my life for you. Then Jesus said, no, you are going to deny me. I know you're going to deny me. Jesus had already seen in the future. Because in John 15, he says, 15, 12, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love, what greater love is this? Which is this love that stands? The greater love that stands is one to lay one's life for one's, for another. When you say I love you, the love you're talking about, you find out what love you're talking about. Because other love, love for a woman, love for family, love for brothers, love for, for friends, that love capitulates at times. That love ends. But when we talk about agape love, agape love stands. This is the theme for this year. And if you come into the mountain of the Lord, you go to ask for the most excellent way, which is the way of love. If you are found in the mountain of the Lord, you have the love that covers the multitude of sin. Proverbs 17.9. If you have come to the mountain of the Lord, you have the love that covers all sins. Proverbs 10.12. If you come to the mountain of the Lord, you have a merry heart which does good like medicine. Proverbs 17.22. If you come to the mountain of the Lord, 1 Peter 4.8, you love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. This is the mountain of the Lord. When you come to this mountain of the Lord, if you go and read Matthew 24, 20, verse 3, 
The Bible says, due to increase in wickedness, in the world air there will be increase in wickedness. The love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. Do you know that love grows cold? Ask somebody who has experienced how love has grown cold. This is not agape love. This is a love of man, naturally. They'll say, I, I naturally hate that person. The reason is that you do not have the love of God, which is the agape love. Because the agape love loves the unlovable. Uh, forgive me those who are teaching English. I just use this for, in the sense of describing something. You love the unlovable. You love the people who don't like you. You know that people don't like you, but you love them because why? God has given you the love, right? God has given you the love. You say, I do not love this person. I do not like, but God says, I command you. God did not command you to like people. He commanded you to love them. There are things you may not like about them, the way they dress, Maybe when you sit next to them, like we, when we were in school, we would sit next to our brothers because maybe they didn't wash the socks for a few days. And maybe you don't like to sit next to them. You don't like. But when you come to the mountain of the Lord, you love them. Because why you love? You, you are driving a car, a nice car on the road. Then you find this person, is God is testing you and you have a car. And there is mud, the way they dress, because you don't like them. But God says, love them. You stop, and they sit in your car, they leave some mud on your mat. Why? Because God has commanded you to love them, right? You don't like them. You don't like the way they look. But the command is, love one another. Love one another the way I have loved you. That's a description of agape, agape love. So agape love is one that is going there sacrificial. You sacrifice. It's so painful. It's so painful. You go to the cross to die for this sinner. It's a sacrifice, right? So love, the agape love is so painful. If you love some people and it doesn't pain you, that's not love. That's fake. It's called fake. You know fake love? Hey, I'll come and see you next week. Hey, I'll come. Oh, no, I'll visit you. The year ends, they didn't visit you. That is fake. Tell your neighbor, that is fake, huh? Yeah. That's fake. I, I don't trade. That, that's fake. That's not love. But the love, the love of God is real. The love of God is real. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here, what you see, at the mountain of the Lord, you have the happiness. You have the joy. You do not trust in humans. Isaiah 2.20 and Isaiah 22 says, Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath and their nostrils, why hold them in high esteem? Human beings, we can trust them. But there's a benefit of doubt that we have. That mm, they can change their mind tomorrow, right? So, we still love them. We still, we still trust them. But we know, mm, there is, in, in our profession, we call it professional skepticism. Uh, which is a problem when it comes to faith. Professional skepticism, they say when you approach things, you must have this level of, you know, a gap. There could be things that may not be okay. So when you're looking at them, have what is called professional skepticism. But unfortunately, when it comes to the things of God, we are not called to have skepticism. We should have faith, right? We should have faith in God. So what we see is that many times people are not joyful. There's something interesting I saw uh, even as I begin to conclude the message today. I come across what they are calling in the world there. They're calling something uh, by the UN called happiness index. I don't know somebody, one of us have been looking at happiness index. 
I got surprised there is what is called happiness index to measure how joyful you are every day from Monday to Sunday. We measure. So there's a measure of happiness index. We can, can call it joyful index. The World Happiness Index is the information that is published by the UN Sustainable Development Solution Network. And one of the country called India scored 126 out of 150 countries on the happiness index. So meaning they are the latter. They are not happy in that country. 126 out of 150. When I looked at, uh, then I said, but which one is the most happiest country in the world? They picked Finland, if you check the report for 2023. Uh, world Happiness Index, for the fifth consecutive year, Finland has been ranked top as one of the happiest countries in the world, Finland. But a very small country, I thought big countries where we have gone could be the happiest place we should find. No, Finland. And followed by Denmark, Iceland, Israel, Netherlands, Sweden, Norway, Switzerland, Luxembourg, New Zealand. These are the con uh, country. The way people are happy. When you meet them, they are happy. You see them from their far, they are happy. You know happy people? They are happy. And then they give me the 10 least countries where people are unhappy. 10 least countries where people are unhappy. Number one, Afghanistan. I could have believed there was war in that country. There was war in that country. They cannot be happy, right? Number two, Lebanon. They are being bombarded right now. They are not happy. Another Sierra Leone, Africa, Zimbabwe, Democratic Republic of Congo, Botswana. You like to go to Botswana. They are unhappy. Malawi, Comoros Island, Tanzania, number 10, Zambia. <laughs> so, I, I got surprised. I said, so in this country, people are unhappy. So that's why I don't visit you. You are unhappy. Then I checked, but, but of course they put one of the happiest countries in, uh, in Africa, Mauritius. Mauritius is a, emerges as the happiest country on the continent, boasting of happiness score of 5.90. So you want to go to a country where people are happy? Go to Mauritius. They are happy. Now, now I began to examine the reason why these people are happy. Why are they happy? Because today what you find, go on social media. The things you are commenting there, you are happy, but when you go there, what you comment there is what they use to score your unhappiness. The things you comment there, they say, because of the emergence of social media, it's more accurate to measure how unhappy people are. So you'll be 10,000 of you on the social media. Five, you'll say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The rest will be yearning and complaining about the dollar, and about the rand, about everything, about school fees, about everything else. That shows the measure of unhappiness. Thank God they have postponed the opening of schools so you can budget in the next few weeks. Somebody was saying, somebody was very happy that they are not opening schools because they have postponed the budgets and everything else so that they can be happy. Cut, cut the long story short, one of the things that uh, one of these professors from Simon Fraser University, you can check that up, which he found particularly interesting to know people why they're happy, is the prosociality, that uh, the act of kindness is one that makes you happy, such as helping a stranger when you donate to those that are in need, to the charity, orphanage, and all those places. When you volunteered, have we sent volunteers somewhere? Do we have volunteers in this country? 
Volunteers we have even at our clinic here, we pay them. They are not volunteers. We give them something. But volunteers where you're really volunteering, you're not getting anything. That is volunteering. Like we say, we have received volunteers from Germany. Those countries, when they volunteer, acts of volunteering, acts of kindness, lead to the stem for greater happiness. When you do things freely, not because there is some things that you must be paid, right? You find these people, they give. You, you, you give what you have. You can give tithe without grudging. You can, when the offering bag comes, you give, you know, without counting how many coins are in your pocket. Just get everything and put there. It releases you to be happy, belonging to the social network, to people around you. Come to church, being in a fellowship, and all those things are. So they, they say that to what extent, there are about few issues, to what extent do perception of corruption affect the happiness index? So if in this country we talk about corruption, that is ticked as one of the issues to talk about happiness. Number two, to what extent does the freedom to make choices affect happiness index? You want to go and have a rally as a political party, they stop you? You become unhappy, right? They will measure that. To what extent does generosity affect happiness index? Helping others, that will affect your... To what extent does life affect uh, expectancy? The health systems, how people are living, how we living health lives, mental health and all these things, they affect the uh, happiness. To what extent does GDP, which is a big one, the economy now, affect the happiness index, the inflation? Price changes, price index level. Every year, the minimum we bought last year, what is the price today? If you go to the, there's one day I went to the shop and uh, this guy comes, he's trying to buy, and then he got a 90 kwacha, and then this man was saying, no, but minimum was 300. Why bring 90 kwacha? I know I, I heard on news that it's 90 kwacha. I know, not here, not here. And this man, this man walked away very unhappy, very unhappy, because the money that he had and the price for that commodity was very high, very unhappy. And I'm sure when he went home, the wife was greeting him, was not answering. Oh, very unhappy, very unhappy. So, the current performance, the money that you have kept in your bank, if you go and draw it, you want to buy something abroad, you need so much money to buy that thing you bought last year for the same amount of money. You become unhappy. The issue to do with unemployment, you can't find a job despite having a degree or a PhD and everything, you can't find a job. You become unhappy, right? You celebrate at your at your graduation with your gowns, you post on Facebook, you're happy, and everything. Then get your paper now, look for a job. Go and look for a job somewhere. If you can't find what you do, you become unhappy. Interest rates, you want to borrow the money. Kalova, you know all those? The money that you borrowed. People will be following you. You stop coming to church that they will see you when you come here. You are very unhappy. These are things that look at, I've got one minute to go. I must end this. But one of the things we see is that the people who are found in church in Mount Zion, are they the people who have to be unhappy? No, because Mount, Mount Zion is a place of joy. Mount Zion is a place of happiness. Mount Zion is a place of kindness. Mount Zion does not count inflation, unemployment, GDP. God, God becomes our economy. Even when we teach economics at school, we teach business. But when you come to New say, when you find things, this is a different mountain. This is a mountain of the Lord. This is a place when you say, when you come to this place, you come and say, I lift up my eyes to the mountain. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and earth. This is a mountain we are talking about. The mountain in Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, 
which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountain surrounds Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forever. This is the mountain I'm speaking about this morning. It's a mountain where people are united. They are not, uh, they are not uh, uh, in disunity. It's like a dew of heaven where falling on Mount Zion. For the Lord bestows a blessing, even life forevermore. This is a mountain which is called a faithful city. It's a mountain which is called a compact city where there is unity. This is a mountain where only one mountain remains and shall be desired, which is the last point. Just a few minutes before I finish. Revelation 21, John is being said, come, I'll show you your bride, the wife of the lamb, and carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, in come down of heaven from God. It's shown with the glory of God. It's a brilliance like that of a very precious jewel like Jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. God wants you to live in dominion. The number 12, the number of government. Micah 4.2 says, Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. This is the mountain of the Lord, the temple of the God of Jacob. Hebrews 12, 18 says, 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousand upon thousand of angels, to the joyful assembly, to the joyful assembly, to the mountain of the Lord is the joyful assembly. So when you come out of that, your, your joy, how joyful you are, your happiness index, go and make a difference when you go there. Post on the social media, how joyful you are to be in the presence of the Lord. Our happiness index will increase. We'll be like Mauritius. We'll begin to increase how we live because we are children of God. Especially that this country is a Christian nation I thought should have been on the top, not Mauritius. This country should have been on the top. Because why? Because these are children of God who depend on him. They are not to be unhappy. So when you come to this mountain, you are expected to be a person that moves in love. John, 1 John 4, 7 says... Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. That's why we have that. That, but the greatest of this is, eh? but the greatest of every mountain is which mountain? The mountain of the Lord, which is where we find the greatest, which is the love of God. And this one, tells us that since we belong to that mountain, we also must reflect that greater love that we, our Father, has because he has that sacrificial love. Uh, verse 10 says, this is love. Now that we love God, but the love, he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I'm skipping some scriptures there because of time. He has given us his spirit. He has poured his love in us by his spirit. So if we walk out there with the love of God, because the spirit of God is in us, automatically we have the love of God. We must walk with the demeanor and the disposition of love with acts of kindness, with people that can explain the love of God in their lives. The last thing is the theme here. The characteristics of this mountain is the mountain of the agape love. The mountain of the agape love. First Corinthians 13.3, which I'm not going to go to, but just try and illustrate something. It's here it also, if I give all I possess to the poor, I give over my body to hardship. If I boast but do not have love, 
I gain nothing. But then he says, love is patient. The love of God is patient. So measure that with the love that you have. Is your love impatient? Then that's not the love of God. Right? The Bible says, love is kind. Is your love kind? Are you kind? If you're not kind, then remove what you do. It's not, that's not love of God. Love does not envy. Do you envy? Love does not boast. Do we boast sometimes? We have a very smart way of boasting that people will not even know that we are boasting. One brother told me that, no, I can't give a testimony there because people will think I'm boasting. I said, no, 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 no. It's the way you tell us your testimony. If you come and tell us the testimony that you thank God for that which you got, then I don't think people will be saying you are boasting. But if you come and tell us that you are the greatest, but I'll tell you there's the greatest in the mountain there. Right? Then that is wrong. Then he says, love does, dis does not dishonor others. Do you dishonor others? Love does not self is not self-seeking. Are you self-seeking? Self-seeking? You want people always to help you, don't help others? You want always people to give you, don't give? Love does not get easily angered. Do you get upset easily on the road in the bus when your change is not given? Maybe, maybe those moments of your life where you get easily angered, you get easily irritated. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Do you delight in evil? Love always protects. Do you always protect others? Do you always cover the multitude of sin, which is love does? Love hopes. Do you always persevere? Love never fails, but many of the people who have loved, they have failed, right? Love in the family has failed. Love among spouses have failed. Love among people who are together have failed. That is not the love of God. But where the love of God is, that love will never fail. It's a Luke 15, the son, the prodigal son, he was still welcomed by the father because the father is the greater, has got greater love, which is the agape love. All these other things will end, but the love of God. Will. So this morning, we have been sharing on every mountain and he who brought law, who may descend to the mountain of the Lord. He humbles those who dwell on high, day of reckoning to the hill and mountain of the nations. They are intangible and tangible resources from the mountain of the Lord. Only one mountain remains and shall be desired, the agape love of God. Shall we pray? Our God and our Father, we are so thankful this morning. We thank you that, O oh Lord, indeed, you are the greatest of all the mountains. To the mountain of the Lord, the Zion, Mount Zion, which, which, is, which can never be moved. We thank you that, O oh Lord, every mountain and hill will be brought low, but you alone, O oh God, will endure. We thank you this morning, even as we look at the picture of the mountain, the things that lay lofty even in our lives, those ob obstacles that you're looking for people with a contrite heart and a broken spirit. Father, we thank you this morning that, O oh Lord, indeed, you want us to come to a place of brokenness so that we can look at things that stand in your way in our lives, in our walk with you. This year, even as we start, that we desire and declare that the Lord indeed we want to walk with you. 
Allow us, O oh God, to introspect our lives, to examine and audit everything else about our lives that stand loft, high lifted up, that stand in your word. This morning, O oh God, this is a prayer for our individual lives, not for one person, but every one of us, that this morning we thank you that your blessing, O oh God, will begin to flow to us because we come humbly before you, Lord, that you alone, O oh God, may forgive all our transgressions, that you may cleanse us, you may renew a right spirit within us, like David would pray in Psalm 51. Create me a clean heart, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of our salvation. Many of the people, Lord, are moving in this world with hate, with their faces that are unhappy. But the Lord, which is the anointing mountain of the Lord, are filled with joy. They are filled with gladness. The oil of gladness, which is the anointing of the Lord that breaks the yoke. This morning, our prayer, Lord, send your anointing to break the yoke that stand in the world, Lord. That we may go out there with the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. That even as we go out there, Lord, you will heal us. Heal our hearts and our minds. Heal our bodies, O Lord. Heal everything about our relationship with people around us. That we begin to be people who are happy, who are joyful. People who have the gladness of our heart. And Lord, indeed, we pray and say, the Lord is my strength and my light. He is my salvation. The Lord is my fortress. The day that trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can never be moved. Our Lord, we look unto the mountain from where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. You, Lord, who do not sleep or slumber. You are the God who do not change. You are not the son of man that you change your mind. Father, we thank you this morning for your blessings that you have pronounced upon us even on this first day of the year. This is the first fruit of our, our dedication unto you this morning. Allow us, O oh God, to rededicate our lives unto you that we may move in the mountain of the Lord where the ways of the Lord will be taught even in this year. In Jesus' name that we pray with thanksgiving our heads and all the people of God say amen and amen.